This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Well, for those of us in here, for those of us online, let's turn in our Bibles to Ecclesiastes 8. Ecclesiastes 8, that's going to be on page 557 if you're going to use the Pew Bible. We're going to read the whole chapter together this morning, so I'd really love everybody to be there. While you're turning to Ecclesiastes 8, let me tell you that my title this morning for this sermon is You Only Have One Life. You Only Have One Life. Now that is the proper way to say it. Toward the end of the week, what I do every week is I give my study guide questions to Pastor Tim to format and to our office manager, Rita, to send out in an email. And when I did that, Tim saw this and said, hey, you only have one life. How about we just make it cooler and hipper and younger? And I think the millennials would like it if we just called this hashtag YOLO. So here it is, if you want it, hashtag YOLO. Not really, it's still going to be the title I picked. The truth is that every sermon I I preach has a title, but I don't think they're always as impactful or meaningful. I don't think the titles always get right to the heart of what we're talking about so quickly and directly. In Ecclesiastes 8, the writer, who calls himself throughout the book the teacher, is inviting us into a mystery. It's a mystery of how to live your one good life. You've got one life. How do you live it well? But like a lot of mysteries, he's going to also clue us in to the fact that life is a paradox. A paradox is something that seems self-contradictory, but when you more fully investigate it, you see two truths that go together even though they might seem at first to oppose one another. So here's the paradox that the teacher unpacks in Ecclesiastes 8. You must live wisely, but also know that living wisely will not be enough. So let me just say that again because it kind of shapes everything that we do for the rest of the time together. Live wisely. You must live wisely, but also know that by itself, living wisely is not enough. Now, deep down, you already know this. So let me just draw that out for you a little bit. There are two people you know. Maybe you're actually one of them. The first person is someone who has made a mess of things. And at the bottom of all of the mess that they've made are poor choices. Poor choices with relationships, Poor choices with money, poor choices in who they've trusted, poor choices have led to the mess that they're in. But then, here's the other kind of person you know. You know someone that's made a lot of good choices. They've worked hard, they've done the right things. They're a good person. But they've still had many sufferings in life. And they're far beyond their control. And so on the one hand, we can say, well, somebody suffers because they've made poor choices. But what do we make of somebody who's made a lot of good choices, yet they've still had a very difficult life? Because we all know both kinds of people. The teacher's conclusion 
is this. This is what I'll say this morning. Make every effort to live wisely. But you have to know right now that wise living doesn't guarantee anything. So I'm a big believer in shooting straight with you. I want to have credibility with you, and, and I think what builds credibility for me, for a preacher in this position with you in the, in the spot that you're in listening to me, is not to get up here and say things that might sound happy, but you know deep down are not true. And so it doesn't actually build credibility if I just get up here and say, if you do everything the right way, you're going to have a good, easy life, guaranteed. That might happen. You could have a good, easy life. But honestly, I don't know anyone who has a life that the whole way through they would just describe as easy. I don't know anybody who's just like, been, man, my, my thing has been easy all my life. No hardship for me. That person doesn't really exist. Instead, everyone I know is saying, I'm trying my best. <coughs> but life is hard. So here's what the teacher wants us to do. He wants us to be... <coughs> Sorry, this is going to be a struggle this morning. <coughs> the teacher wants us to be realistic about what life in the world looks like, to say life will be hard. But there are ways we can walk wisely. There are things we can do there are ways to live uprightly, and that will help a lot. But even where we do those things, things can fall apart because we live in a world that has fallen apart. And the hope that we come to at the end of that is there is a God who has drawn near to us, who invites us into his presence, who has gone to the ultimate lengths to come to our rescue, and who promises to hold us tight all the way through. So even when things do fall apart, and folks, they will, I earn no credibility with you if I just say, from here on out, it's smooth sailing for you. Things fall apart. But when they do, there is a God who will embrace you tightly in Christ the Savior and when the brokenness of the world seems like it will be too much, he promises to keep you secure to himself and hold you fast to him. For those of us who are Christians, we can just say it like this. First, God does call us to live wisely. There's much in the scriptures about wisdom. But second, when that isn't enough, Jesus Christ is always more than enough. That's what we read in Ecclesiastes 8. And so if you've got your Bible, let's turn there. Let's start in Ecclesiastes 8.1. We're going to read every verse of this this morning. Kind of move through, look at it, talk a little bit, look at it, talk a little bit. Ecclesiastes 8.1. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face is changed. So this is his introduction. And he says, you can tell a lot about how a person is lived by looking at their face. Again, for those of us who are Christians, 
Have you ever gotten a sense? Have you ever been able to met somebody and just by looking at them had a sense that they were in Christ? Have you ever known that about somebody? Just kind of second nature. Before you've heard their story, something about their countenance, something about their expression, maybe it's in their eyes. You sense that they had a peace in this life that comes from beyond this world. Proverbs 15, 13 says, a glad heart makes a cheerful face. So the preacher is setting us up for an explanation of wise living. And he starts with wise living among the present systems of the world. Now he's going to talk about how do you live wisely? How does somebody kind of have a wise looking, a peaceful looking face? And he's going to talk about all these spheres in the world that we're going to be called to navigate. Every single one of us has to navigate this. First, he's going to talk about government, just the society we live in. You could place that under the place you work, the family you are connected to, the networks that you're in, and then he's going to move on from there. But first, let's do this. How do we live wisely in the place, in the time, in the systems that we've been born into? Verse 2. So I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? For Christians, to live at all in this world requires a great deal of wisdom. You will have to use wisdom in the world. In John 15, 19, Jesus tells us as his followers that although we live in the world, we're never going to feel completely at home here because this world, once we're in Christ, is no longer the best place for us. Once we become Christians, we are destined for heaven. That place and the promise of it will always feel better to us. But for a while, some of us it's a long while, we still live here. So how do we navigate that? How do we navigate feeling like we should live someplace else, but we do live here? And here the teacher says we do that with a great deal of thought. He presents to us two things for our consideration. First, keep the king's commands because of God's oath to him. What he means by that is to remember that God is sovereign over all things, including every affair of this world. There's nothing that happens outside of his will. And when that comes to earthly ruling powers, it means, and the Bible is clear, that earthly ruling powers are in place because God has ordained it to be so. Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. And those who exist, those that exist, have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. 
We honor God and we live wisely when we obey those that God has placed in authority over us. And we should want this. This should be our desire. Romans 13 goes on to say that good government exists so that people may live peaceable, happy, calm lives. I just need to say this. I have observed at times what seems like a default posture among many Christians to distrust or to be on the lookout for places to disobey those that God has placed in governing authority over us. And you have to hear this. If you were a Christian, that is a clear violation of Romans 13. It is a witness to our deep faith and trust in God to look for ways not to defy government, but to be the best kinds of citizens. Does that mean that we must obey those in authority over us in all circumstances? It does not. And that's not what the scriptures teach. Often obeying God and obeying earthly authorities will overlap. Let's hope they overlap as often as possible. But where they do not, we should unapologetically obey God. Let me just say this. To say we are going to defy earthly authority and we must obey God is not something we should do cavalierly. And it shouldn't be something that we do often, and it certainly shouldn't be something that we celebrate. There is nothing to be celebrated about those circumstances because it means something has broken down. It should grieve us and feel like a serious burden to come to the conclusion that we must disobey the authority that God has put in place for something else. And we should recognize that it, should also, it will also mean hardship for us in this world. Now, that's not a reason to turn back, but we should not be eager. This is Solomon's wisdom as the teacher here. We should not be eager to bring difficulty on, our, on ourselves. That's why the first thing the teacher says is be wise and obey the king's commands. It goes better for you if you're an obedient citizen. Where you cannot be, make that a very serious decision, knowing that it will have consequences. Now, the second thing he says comes in verses three and four. If we're going to obey those in authority over us, be careful who you give your allegiance to and the kind of authorities that you put yourself under because it may lead to situations where you are forced to make costly decisions. For the most part, we have, when it comes to government leaders, the government leaders that we're given. We can vote, but on the whole, we just have very little control over that. Our vote is one among thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions. But there are plenty of other types of authority where we have much more control over who we place ourselves under. And we should exercise a great deal of wisdom in choosing under whom 
we will align ourselves. And here's what I mean by that. If you go to work for a company that operates with a great deal of gray area when it comes to their business practices, or if you work for a boss who asks you to lie, or an institution willing to harm people for its progress, you will expectedly put yourself in many challenging places. So be as careful, the teacher says, as you can not to do that. Be careful who you go to work for. Be careful about the groups you align yourself with. Be careful about the organizations that you support. Because if you're not, you might find yourself in some really challenging situations that could have been easily prevented on the front end. If you're in one right now, if you're in one right now, if you feel like my job asks me to do things that I am not comfortable with, I have a situation where I am a part of a group and I am just not thinking that this is wise for me, make a plan now to get out on your own terms. Don't think it'll just work itself out someday until the point that you have no out. That you're put in almost an impossible situation. Make a plan now. So if the first part is to see the wisdom in obeying commands wherever possible, the second part here is have the wisdom of foresight to see the red flags early and don't even put yourself in those positions. And how to do that is where the the teacher goes next. So look at verse 5. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. We'll stop there. So if you are interested in living wisely, if that's your goal, if you've said, hey, I'm kind of convinced I want to live wisely, this is a terrific promise. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. The wise heart will prosper. Great. It's right there. It's easy. So keep the commands and walk with a wise heart. That's it. Just keep the commands and walk with a wise heart. Simple as that, right? Here's the problem. Here's the problem with just keep the commands and just, have a, and just live with a wise heart. In order to make that promise a reality, you need to be ready when you're confronted with the situations, not after you realize you're already in a a situation for compromise. So sometimes you need to see what's coming a long time in advance, weeks, months, years. Sometimes it's a few days. Sometimes it might even just be a moment. But being wise on the front end And being wise in hindsight are two very different things. Everybody you know could be wise if they have the benefit of a time machine. That's not any great skill. You know, it's not a great man or woman of wisdom to look back and say, I shouldn't have been a jerk to that person who became my boss. Now they don't like me and it's hard for me at work. You wouldn't consider somebody a genius in the market if they say, you know, in 1999, you really should have bought Amazon. You'd have a lot of money. Now, that's, that's not any great insight. Everybody knows that. Everybody can see wisdom after things have gone poorly. 
anybody can look backwards and see the pain points. Real wisdom comes from learning to see them, if at all possible and wherever possible, before they arrive. And here's what the the teacher tells Christians in 2021. You have more access to the wisdom of God than any group of people at any point in history. I really believe that this is what the teacher would tell us. He's working with a set of wisdom principles that he's building, that he's finding in some former scriptures, but we have a treasure trove of wisdom unlike any other group in history. And so the way to keep his commands, the way to keep ourselves from evil, the way to prosper with a wise heart is very clearly to read and to know the word of God. Not just to read it for a few minutes, a couple of times a week, but to sit with it, to memorize it, to soak it in, and to fill your mind and your heart to such a degree that we all have the humility to say, I alone, I'm my own, I'm foolish without this. To me, this word of the Lord is more precious than bread to eat And reading it quenches my thirst like clear spring water on a scorching hot day. Folks, you have all the wisdom of centuries, millennia that people have gathered from following the Lord that the Holy Spirit has poured out to you. Most of you own multiple copies of it. Here's my heartache though with this. For many of us. We can sit with the greatest wisdom the world will ever know anytime we want to. But most of us rarely do. Many of us spend far more time consuming the content of 24-hour political opinion channels and scrolling social media than we do with our Bibles. Lord, help us, and and Lord, forgive us. To live wisely, read the Bible, to hear from God that if you are in Christ, he delights in you, he has redeemed you, And he has prepared for you a crown of glory that makes every treasure the world has to offer look like the difference between the jewels that the British royal family wears and the plastic pretend ones that my daughters sometimes put on for dress up. That's the difference between what God has promised us in Christ and what the world tries to offer. So here's what's important to know. If you are in Christ, God has made you worthy. And if you wonder if you should compromise your following of him, your worship of him, because you think it might give you a leg up at work, don't. 
If you think that doing something to please somebody else in the world, though it be unwise to God, don't. If you are sure, though, that God has promised to be for you everything that is good and only to give to you what is good for you, right according to his plan and his good pleasure. You will read that in the word of God. You will not settle for just someone to marry just because they came around. Don't settle for that kind of relationship. Operate wisely and let God's word tell you who you should be with. If you wake up in the morning and hear God say, I'm with you today, I'm for you, and I will lead you by my righteous right hand today, and nothing can separate you from me today, then whatever comes at you the rest of the day is going to look a whole lot different. And all of those things that I've just laid out are on every page of the Bible. And so if you start your day with God speaking his delight and his favor and his pleasure and his grace and his providence over you, whatever you might be tempted to take less of in the world will come in a much better perspective. So wise living comes from knowing who you are and whose you are. The Bible tells you you are Christ's and in him you are worthy. Live like it, act like it, don't settle for less than that. So that's the first part, wise living. But remember the second part, by itself, living wisely is not enough. It won't insulate you from everything bad and hard in life. Verse seven, we'll go faster now. For he who does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to restrain, to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. When man had power over man to his hurt. We'll stop there. So this is the reality of the world. And if you want to see the word of God is real for your entire lives, we need to wrestle with the breadth of what this is saying. And here it is saying that even if you live wisely, even if you make all the right decisions, you still might have a hard time of it. Just practically, even if you parent by the book, you still may have wayward children. Even if you work your tail off, you might not get noticed and promoted. Even if you exercise and drink spinach, spinach smoothies in the morning, your heart might just stop beating. And he goes on next to say this. We'll read it in a minute, but even your heroes, even the people that you most admire, might turn out not to be who you thought they were. And in any of those cases where you see evil prosper, 
and you see things not work out the way you wanted, and where you see people turn out to not be who you thought they were, you might be tempted to think that the wisdom of God isn't really all that it's cracked up to be. Because you will see people cheating and getting ahead, and you'll see people lying and succeeding, and you'll see all kinds of evil, and for a time it will look like maybe that's the way to win. But don't fall for it. Don't fall into it. Don't fall to it. Press into the Lord and entrust yourselves to him. That's what he says next. Verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. People who turned out to be different. This also is vanity. Because of the sentence against evil, and ev- because against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So do you see this? These things will be tempting. Let's not pretend that they are not. Let's not pretend that we, do, we don't do ourselves any favors by pretending that we aren't sometimes enticed by speedy solutions and worldly gain. But folks, they are not the way of wisdom. And they will not lead us to God and they will not lead us in godliness. So don't fall for them. Don't fall to them. I'm just going to read to the end and I want to save our last couple of moments for a couple of responses that I think are common to all of us. So verse 14, there is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity and I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun, but to eat and to drink and to be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do, anyone, do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, however much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So let me try to just sum this up a little bit and then send us out with two promises that that are open and available to every one of us. Live wisely. To do that, you need to dig down deep into the commands of God, into the word of God, and into the heart of God. The command of God, the word of God, and the heart of God. I added that last one because knowing the heart of God is key to living wisely under God. It is possible to know the word of God and to follow many of the commands of God yet reflect nothing of the heart of God. The Apostle Paul said, you can know a lot, but if you have not love, the best thing that your life could be compared to is a clanging symbol. 
The commands of God were never meant to be detached from the heart of God. So don't just know his commands if you want to live wisely. Get to know his heart. Tender, compassionate, gracious, and for you in Christ. Live wisely, but know even when you do that not all things will be easy. Sometimes it will look like evil is winning and those who do wickedness are prospering. But these last verses say, trust that they are not. And for you, man or woman of God, stay focused on Christ. And here are your two promises. It's never too late to come to Jesus. Number one, it's never too late to come to Jesus. I don't care if reflecting back on your life, you have been a rotten, sinful, nasty person for every moment of your life up until this one right now. Come to Jesus. Lay down your former life and be washed, cleansed, and renewed. He can do that. He will do that if only you will ask him. Second, if you are a person who is a Christian, but you have been living with regrets, if you look back on your life and feel like it is marked more by mistakes and shame and decisions devoid of any wisdom, know that Jesus will forgive you. He wants to draw you close to himself. The Apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners. In his former life, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was a hard, bitter man who railed against Jesus and oversaw the murder of Christians. But Jesus saved him. And after he was saved, he was able to write in Philippians 3 that now he was pressing into Jesus because Jesus had invited him to come. And the way that he was able to do that was to forget, this is what he writes, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He called it the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you're living with regret, lots of it, ask God to help you forget what lies behind and strain forward to what he has for you in Christ. That doesn't mean that you won't bear the pain of bad decisions. It doesn't mean that you won't still have hard circumstances based on those poor decisions. But if you've been letting those define you, if you've been holding back from intimacy with Christ or trusting other people, letting other people in, if you feel like my life is mostly one of regret, it's not looking forward, Jesus offers you the chance to start a new kind of life today. Hebrews 8.12 says that in Christ, God is merciful toward our former sins and remembers them no all your sins right now from this moment 
back our former sins. And in Christ, God will remember them no more. So let's press on together. Submit yourself to him. Obey him in his commands. Follow him in his heart of love. And live a new life in him. Starting now. Starting today. Let's pray together, then we'll be dismissed. God, these are precious, dear people. I know that men and women enter the room and tune in online, some enjoying the freedom that is theirs in Christ, and many others bringing the weight of the weak, but the weight of many former weeks and months of years, wondering what you will do with it all. For anyone who hears my voice that lives with regret, would you impress it upon their heart that you love them, that you are for them, and that you are merciful toward them. And may they walk in newness of life, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And may we all do that. May today be a day that we pursue the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And for whatever we're facing in the week ahead, as we're all challenged to wonder what wisdom we might walk in, guide us with the Holy Spirit. Make us not afraid of the consequences of the world, but may we desire your glory, your honor, and to live with your heart. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.